Wicked Grounds. Recorded live at Wicked Grounds Cafe, San Francisco. Welcome to the Wicked Grounds Podcast. This is uh, episode two, part one. Uh, my name is Ryan or Psycho Kitty. Joining me is my lovely co-host. Rue or Rubik. And today we are being graced by the ever lovely Carol Queen. Yay! <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I am so glad you could join us. Um, so the purpose of the Wicked Grounds podcast, real quick, is just to share some of the lovely coffee-based conversations that happen at Wicked Grounds with the rest of the world. Um, a lot of us here are definitely great fans and supporters of this coffee shop, and we want to share this wonderfulness with as many people that want to listen. Um, and I know, Carol, you've been a great supporter of us for a long time, and I'm very grateful to, that we're all in the same community together. Likewise. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people that might be at the far reaches of the internet listening to us on the episodes or in the raw, the raw stream that aren't as familiar with you, tell us, you know, tell us what, what makes you Carol Queen. So um, if I'm going to do the elevator speech, I need kind of a tall building because it, it's not going to happen between just floor one and floor two. But um, All right. So uh, I, we'll get Foley on that let, right yeah, away. Let me, let, me get, let, me, let me get rolling. Um, I have a PhD in sexology, which I try to use only for good, never evil. I oh, used to awesome. say, yeah, I used to say it, I got it so that I could say uh, when they called me into the Senate subcommittee, that's Dr. Queen, Mr. Helms. <laughs> hands, on the, hands on the hip. Point. So far, that hasn't actually occurred. But uh, So, doctorate oh, fan- in sexology. A little tra- fantasy there, maybe? I know, maybe a little <laughs> fantasizing was going on at some point in a row, yes. And uh, so, with that, I am the staff sexologist at Good Vibrations. And I've been at uh, Good Vibes pre-sexology and post-sexology since 1990, uh, practically since dinosaurs ruled the earth. I've been in San Francisco and the Bay Area since the mid-80s, so a lot of lot has changed in that amount of time. Oh, yeah, definitely. And co-founder, found uh, director of the Center for Sex and Culture, sexandculture.org, uh, your neighbor up yeah. in, uh, in this neighborhood in San Francisco. We're just a few blocks away from each other, Wicked Grounds in the center. And that's a sex ed center with um, also a focus on cultural events, meetings for organizations, something that you guys do here too. Yeah. And also we've got a library and an archive, a gallery, something that you have here too. Mm. Yeah. So we have your sort of separated at birth twins i think of it we have, we no, awesome we have no coffee and you know so we are awesome neighbors i'm lo- i'm glad that we are so close geographically it's really wonderful it's really really wonderful and you know if san francisco keeps going the way it is maybe we'll all have to go move into a sewer grating somewhere and oh. you know have our library and your coffee all the same place you know, yes yes, yeah, yes. We, when we first moved here or when we first opened here it was really because we wanted this neighborhood we already recognized it as like the leather neighborhood and so many people have, you know, like Stormy Leather, Taste of Leather, and a few other places that aren't with us anymore. Plus, many new people in the neighborhood who do not know that it is a leather neighborhood, but they'll know soon because the yeah. Folsom Street Fair is coming. They'll, they won't be able to actually ignore it at yes. all in oh. just a few weeks. So that'll be fun to watch. Folsom there, is coming. I think there are more newbies probably in town and in this neighborhood, certainly, than there have ever been for Folsom. Mm-hmm. So amusing Amusing amusements will. I mean, they got come. a little taste with up your alley, but a little Folsom. Bit. I mean, you could you could probably walk around up your alley 
um, taking only two blocks out of your way. But Folsom, you gotta you gotta walk a little further yeah. uh, to get to your brand new condo. Anyway, that'll be that'll be fun to point and watch. And the other thing that I do is I write books and run around giving talks at colleges and NGOs and other places. I've written The Leather Daddy and the Femme. Real Live New Girl, Chronicles of Sex Positive Culture, which is personal essays. Leather Daddy and the Femme is a porno book. Um, with, oh, um, oh, no. with sort of a, <laughs> with, with, um, sort of a sideline of fam- exploring family of choice in a San Francisco, very much like our own, except to that more people have more time to fuck all the time and not... Um, we're a podcast. I can say fuck, right? Yes. Yeah. You're, you're, oh, yeah. yeah. Fuck all the time. Uh, and unlike those of us who actually have to get up and go and make our nonprofits and our coffee houses. Thank and, you for helping us keep the explicit tag on our podcast. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. You, and, you know, I can back up if you need me to, but I, no, no. I, it's, I was suspecting that you already had worked that out with the podcast people where yes. we are. The and podcast, um, the podcast people where are they? There's a commission somewhere, right? There. Uh, He's album, right, right there. And uh, also um, another thing that I've done is um, exhibitionism for the shy, of course. So mm-hmm. those are those are I think three, we have that book. three books that I'm probably best known for. I know exhibition for the shy is that should be on our shelves. Well, I hope so because so we have that one available for anyone that wants. Uh, wants to wander in the cafe, well, coffee shop. Right, because if anybody comes in here and they feel shy, it's to all of our advantage that they feel shy less less shy sooner. And if the book helps, then yeah. I've done my bit. Yeah, the ca- coffee shop is all about comfort, accept- comfort and acceptability. Right. Acceptance. Right. Acceptability. Acceptability? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were trying. Actually, yeah. no. It is a, acceptability might have been a tongue fumble, but it's actually... A, it works. Because that's what we're trying to do with the coffee shop and I'm sure with the Center for Sex and Culture is to try and make sex more acceptable. Right. Make it Mm -hmm. less of a taboo and and take the shame out of it. I think many people are are just so frightened of either sexuality and its many permutations because they got such a lousy sex education in the first place or came Mm -hmm. from pretty conservative families or communities or whatever. And some people are just worried about it or frightened of it because it's like, it looks like there's a lot to get right over there and kinky world. And Mm. well, that's true. It's, you know, you take one step at a time, right? Mm, right. It's not that hard to figure out what you like and then you focus on that for a while and then work with it and get, you know, play safe and then find the next thing. Yeah. It's that's really how it goes. Um, let me take a moment also to talk about uh, this month's sponsor, uh, the Wicked Grounds Improvement Campaign on Indiegogo, which if you're listening to us live, you still have a day and a half to help us reach our goal. We are at 34, yeah, 34 hours. hours to help us reach yes. our goal of $23,000. And this improvement campaign is very important because the cafe has been sitting for five, almost five years now. Wow. And we have some equipment in the kitchen that has been loved hard for many years and needs needs some aftercare and needs mm-hmm. to be replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a ventilation system here that, um, while it's great for making people want to strip in the back, uh, <laughs> it's not always conducive to the different munches and groups that we have, so it would be nice to have a more flexibility with our ventilation. Definitely. And we want to buy some more sexy furniture for the front. We're looking at like a cage table or yes. a puppy uh, a puppy cage coffee table for the front mm-hmm. and some other fun things. And so by uh, going through our Indiegogo campaign, uh, which you can find on our front page of wickedgrounds.com, um, you can sign up for some great incentives as, so it's not that we're just, you know, don't get, just give us money. Come buy some cool stuff for us. 
And if you feel sad because you don't have any money at all, you can still help get the word out, right? There's 34 hours for you to put on all your socials, and mm. best, best of all, you donate and you also yeah. get the word out. Yeah, spreading the word is just as important. And I would love to broadcast from inside a puppy cage table, to be honest <laughs> oh, with you. Oh, that would be well, cute. Yeah. Well, I think if we get that going, we could get that going. Yes. Once we get that going. More incentive. <laughs> More incentives. That sounds like a huge incentive to me. And uh, my commercial break is over. Thank you. Thank you for your ears. Still, I'm going so many podcasts, so few puppy cages. <laughs> exactly. We need what? more puppy cages. More, more, more. I'm sure we can get the mic and the headphones down to a puppy cage. That's not a problem. I All mean, you have to do is hook the boom to it. Yeah, the boom can be fit. Fine. Right, no It'll problem. Because yeah. Rue just needs more petting. I always need more pets. So... Um, that's very much uh, a, that's a lot of great things that that you that brings you to to where we are today. But what you got going on right now? What's what's new with you? Well, because I, I admit we haven't had a lot of great sitting over coffee talks. So I think you know part of this podcast for me is a chance to get some awesome people in here that I can actually just chat with and talk and yeah and and stuff. Which is lovely, and which is of course why I said yes right away <laughs> oh, when you pitched me. I was like, that sounds like a so much fun. Yeah, you yeah. were like, all right, when? when? When can I do this now? Yeah, we had I'll, calendars out in five seconds. We great. did. We really, really did. Um, so what I am doing, like, well, so here's what I just did, and then I'll tell you what I'm going to do next. What I just did was go on a little trip to uh, the East Coast-ish area. East Coast-ish. Where I went to Reed Mahalko's Sex Geek Summer Camp as a um, talker about my thing, person, faculty, I guess he was calling it. And um, that was in West Virginia in a beautiful, beautiful area, mm. and it started to rain, so I, I went and hid and edited a book that I can announce, not right now today, but soon, that I'm working on uh, um, getting closed down on. So there's Shucks. a new book. No I'm so sorry. Releasing. I would tell you. I totally would. I totally would. I I'll tell you I soon. Um, but there's a new thing um, on, the, on the way that will have my name somewhere on it, and, and that's fun and, and exciting, and I'm honored to be part of that. And then I went to the Woodhull Freedom Foundation's um, annual Vicky Awards, um, and they acted not just a Vicky Awards. They had a whole um, they had a whole weekend long shindig um, with lots of wonderful, wonderful presenters. But I got a Vicky Award, uh, Vicky named after Victoria Woodhull, the first woman to run for president of the United States, and oh, wow. um, the sexual freedom heroine and forebear of all hmm. of us. When, when, who, when did she run? 1870s. <sighs> I know. You didn't know that one. I know. I got a degree in history. Why did I not know this? Well, because the degree in history you got, not unlike the classes in history I got, left all the best stuff out. True. And I don't know why that even is, because (laughs) don't you think kids would like history a little better if you told them, oh, hey, kids, a little less than 150 years ago, this lady who was a sexual freedom advocate ran for president. Wouldn't that... Wouldn't that tune I'd us in? I'd be interested. I yes. We have audience members going squee over squee. here. Squee, yes. <laughs> so I, I actually, uh, Robert, my partner, just um, went on the magical interwebs and got me an original picture of an editorial cartoon, like an original magazine with right. this editorial cartoon from the 1870s um, with Victoria Woodhull, a picture of her with bat wings and, mm. and <laughs> hooves <laughs> and a, like a scary devil hairstyle and... The cartoon is called Get Thee Behind Me, Mrs. Satan. <sighs> so if we ever think today 
that sexual freedom and uh, sex and kink variation and diversity um, freak out some of our more conservative neighbors, we need only think that most of them are not bothering to call us Mrs. Satan (laughs) and put big editorial cartoons in the paper about us and perhaps things have improved just a tiny, tiny bit. A little progress. Just a titch. Anyway, I got an award named after this awesome, awesome activist of a century of yore, and I couldn't be more honored. It was great, and I got to uh, to do a talk for the whole group, which meant that I got to rant. So that was fun. I ranted and, and enjoyed myself ranting. And then I came back, and now we're finishing up the Erotic Reading Circle anthology that the Center for Sex and Culture is publishing, which is based on the Erotic Reading Circle that Jennifer Koss and I facilitate Every single month on the fourth uh, Wednesday, except like when that falls on Xmas and stuff. We right. Usually don't we, we stay home and read our erotica <laughs> at home on those days, but pretty much all the rest of the time. Uh, there we are at the erotic reading circle with people from all walks of life reading uh, out loud and getting feedback, everything from their novel that they're about to publish to the stuff that they just wrote on a napkin at cocktail hour. <laughs> That's great. And love letters and journal entries and blog posts and everything. So that's going to be awesome. It's a really interesting, interesting book, mostly of erotic stories, but some relevant to other stuff too. And uh, we just Indiegogo'd it, if that's a verb. I think it's, it, it could it be. Is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We Indiegogo'd it, and, and we're, we're lucky to have some wonderful supporters, and it's just about to get uh, turned into an actual thing. Super so exciting. Oh, so great. It's always nice when you have, you know, a product comes, you know, like you, Hard work, you have results. Look, we did that. I yeah. know, I know. And because this is, uh, you know, the Center for Sex and Culture is a 501c3 nonprofit. So we have um, many people who come in and sort of pitch in as volunteers and, and stakeholders of many kinds. And it really is a big, hey, kids, let's put on a show enterprise, which mm-hmm. I'm guessing that you guys can relate to just, here as well, just, just a titch. And, you know, anything that comes out of community, I feel like, does that. Yeah, it, it, many people have amazing entrepreneurial ideas and they cook something up and we're like, oh, we've got to have one of those things. That's cool for our toy bag or whatever. But when community comes together to make a thing that wasn't here before, but now we can make it happen, that's just really an honor to be involved yeah, in. Yeah, definitely. Squeeze. It's like when, when you get to a certain point, like I, I definitely feel this way about the cafe. When I got to a certain point, I felt it was more important than me. Mm-hmm. Um, that the community environment that we created, you know, I'm very humbled by the fact that it very quickly became uh, a staple within the San Francisco community and right. how important it became to so many people that I could not, you know, I could not let go of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had to make a lot of sacrifices to make this place go. And, you know, I've now got to the point where, thanks to Mira and Mo, who came in in April, where I'm no longer like killing myself to keep this going. Now there's there's a you know the community has now come in and it's now like a lot more stable and not just one crazy hair pulling kitty running around like you aren't had. eating like a monk anymore. Yes, <laughs> right, and that has to happen because mm-hmm. um, even one visionary or a couple or a few visionaries, which really is how we got almost all of our community entities and. Um, Institutions, whether they're organizations or you know places where you can go right. or any of that, without the people who have the bright ideas and can pull some resources together to get them going, 
we practically don't have a community at right. all. I mean, I don't want to minimize the, the importance of a bunch of people interested in the same set of things mm-hmm. bumping into each other at street fairs and different places. Right. I don't want to minimize that at all. But, but our, our organizational entities are so crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the foundation for those people getting together. I mean, yeah, I, I started getting into the, the whole kinky world before the internet was the place. Ooh. Oh, yeah, before yeah. FetLife. Yeah, I, I, sure. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I remember when like bondage.com was the place to hang I out. I remember the and days rem- before the interwebs. Amazing. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Barely. Um, and so, you know, like, when you have to respond to back of ads to try and find somebody to, of a like interest, and then there was always, I mean, I like I, I just remember me going down, living, growing up in Chicago. I was up on the north side, and I responded to an ad of this woman, older woman, as a, a dominant, and she wanted to meet me, wanted me her to meet her down at a fast food place on the south side. West, southwest side, somewhere near uh, Midway Airport, and I didn't have a car, and I'm like, you know, young guy traveling across town, and like, it took me like an, two hours to get there. I was going to say half a day in Chicago, lordy. And, you know, I, I mean, I, mean, I navigated the buses, I'm, you know, that's fine, but then when I got there, I also was not prepared, because, you know, she was like, well, what are you into? It's like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got really lucky, I think, because... Uh, be, like I would have never discovered the fetish community if I hadn't been in the military. Wow. With where I with where I grew up it was very suburban and very green grass and nice cars and no, no one talks about anything right unheard of. So joining the military when I was eighteen and having all these people from different places with different backgrounds like that really pulled me into it. And I was really fortunate to travel and be in Hawaii fetish community in North Carolina, which is even weirder. But it was great. Yeah, we're lucky. Yeah, I think a lot of people discover this kind of stuff when they go off to college. Yes. Mm-hmm. I guess there's one thing about being out of the house, right? Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's it's not more... like people who, who live at home never discover their sexuality or their fetish. Mm-hmm. Of course, they have a little bit more freedom. With erotica, I mean, that's why erotica is so important is because people can find that and read when they don't really have that outlet right. to really go out and live their fantasy. Yeah. And I think that there's something really important also about just, just like you said, go getting into a group of people that comes from different places. Exactly. You, because if you can cope with that situation mm-hmm. at all, yeah. <laughs> what you realize immediately that you get is, wow, here are some, you know, live action humans to tell mm-hmm. me something about places that I haven't been yet. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's no longer the fantastic fantasy. This is now like steps towards these are some people that share this interest that might actually want to play with me mm-hmm. or might or mm-hmm. like help me to get to the point to find the person to play with and it you know that transition has become so much easier in this I mean you know I, I don't want to just harp on oh back when I was a kid type thing but I'm actually really grateful for that because of the internet and tools like FetLife and places where mm-hmm. it gives us a lot more strength because we're no longer just this one person. We're now a little bit stronger of a community. There's more voices. That you know gives the cafe and the center people. You know, make, gives us the ability to gather people up together and going. All right, we are valid. Yeah, being able and, to reach out to to yeah. other communities. Yeah, 
And you know, one of the things I was ranting about in my in my Woodhull keynote was that um, one of the things that I'm really seeing lately, I feel like maybe it's maybe it's just I'm a you know old fart now, but, but you know, but because both of us have have had experiences of coming out into this community before the internet was the major way that you did that, yeah. or found out about it in the first mm-hmm. place. I feel like there's a there's a, a, a certain lack of historical memory. Many people just don't have access to that because they came out much more recently. What's important to them is what's going on now or what's been going on since they came out. And, and what was going on before, maybe a little less important, but we've got to always keep in our minds and our, our collective memory at least. This is one of the reasons that the center has an archive, yeah. right? What happened before we got here and how the people who made the community that we came out into managed to do that and find each other even before there were ads in the backs of magazines. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, what an extraordinary thing if none of those steps had been taken and then there hadn't been a bunch of excellent geekery to make it all go online, what would we have all done? You know, who would we have found? How would we have stumbled into it? most of us be in our kinky closets? Yeah, not not exactly knowing why we don't feel exactly right about our sex lives, but who knows what's wrong. Exactly. You're you're snickering over here. No, I'm just laughing at how when I was early teens having to sneak into my parents' nightstand to read Penthouse. Like, that's all I could find. Oh, yeah. Penthouse erotica, you know? I believe I was a babysitter in the 1970s who did that exact same oh, yeah. thing Playboy for some of my first. Playboy and, of course, it's worth saying that porn of any of sort like that or any other is not sex education, except when it's really meant to be and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's also worth saying that many people have gotten turned on to possibilities that way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, then they really need to be able to step into a place where people can actually teach them how to tie knots Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Restraints and buckle are over there so you don't have to learn to tie a knot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it's like uh, my dad had a... a, My dad actually did a uh, photos... Basically a photo audition for Playboy. Back in the, because the Playboy, they used to have the Playboy Mansion in Chicago. Right, right, of course. So my dad was a photographer, and you know, when we moved into the the first house I grew up in before all the apartment jumping, my dad actually had a darkroom stuff, and so you know, at one point I was learning how to develop film uh, and other lost art. Grasshoppers, (laughs) that was before digital. All right, Uh, (laughs) and so it's like. I knew where his stash of uh, naughty slides were, and I didn't find out until later the reason why he didn't want me developing from his naughty slides because there's pictures of my mother in there too. Oh no! <laughs> Awkward. So you're sort of a legacy family in that yes. way. Yes. Of course, if we all knew what our parents and relatives were ever up to, many of us would feel less alone. But yeah. it's part of the whole deal of. Don't let the kids know. It's, right. it's not appropriate. It's not age appropriate. It's not. Mm. It's too much information. It's whatever. They can't. Kid, children can't deal with it. But uh, what is that? What is that threshold point where they they're curious and they need to know? Oh, yeah. When my mother, when I was old enough, you know, I was in my twenties by this time. But when my mother started actually talking to me about her life and telling me about things that she had experienced and stuff that she was still confused about and all that stuff, like when you when you get down and, and have a real conversation with somebody, she just happened to be my mom at that point, mm. and. It put so many things into perspective for me that I had never heard directly and that I kind of sussed, I think, but, but never really knew. 
So I just, you know, if any of you out there in podcast landia are, are listening and you've got <laughs> kids or you've got parents, you know, no pressure, but at some point when everybody's old enough and communicating about this stuff, I think it's Very a important. gift that we give each other yeah. across generations and that many people just never have that gift. A lot of us have the gifts that they get about joining community and finding out who they are sexually only from their sort of co-generation peers. mates, mm-hmm. their peers, or the you know, maybe the older people who are part of the community, you know, their parents' generation or somewhere in that range, but mm-hmm. not the actual human beings that brought us into the world, made sure that we were okay until we were fledged. It's kind of amazing when we have the ability to get that in our yeah, lives. I, my, mo- my mom gave me my first talk in fifth grade and she was always very open my entire I grew up in two different households my dad was the one if you even brought up cleavage he would blush and be like (laughs) so with him I couldn't talk about anything but with my mom she was always very open and very and she always like she had stages of talks so in the fifth grade it started very like simple age appropriate yeah 16 she actually opened a book and showed me certain things and it was really great I was very fortunate for that and you didn't have the experience like so many kids do of going mom you're squicking me Oh no! I mean, I she she was very she was like you're going to be embarrassed with what I'm going to talk to you about because oh. <laughs> my poor mom was not really very good at talking about such things or <laughs> thing and of course that is one of the yeah. one of the many many stair steps that I had to climb up to get to mm-hmm. wherever it is I am right now because having that experience really made me know the talk can be frightful oh and it could yeah. Turn you right off. Let's try to make those kinds of talks get better for everybody. Some of her timing was awful, though, to be honest with you. I mean, because I was raised in the gay community, but I didn't really realize it until I saw two men holding hands for the first time, and I didn't understand. Right. Um, And she was like, well, sometimes men love each other. That's just how it is. And that was the opening. Like, hey, I have friends who are gay, and you're going to be in this community with me. But you had already, by saying that, I know that you had already pulled... Um, more conservative and traditional ideas. Oh, just from, from my father. Culture. Oh, it was. Whew. Yeah. I was so shocked. I was just. It was crazy. Yeah, I. You know, I grew up in the era where divorce was way less common than it was mm, later on, yeah. and the having a conservative parent and a not so conservative parent. I didn't, I mean, I had that, but they were like right in the house with me. Yeah. <laughs> we have to navigate that day in, day out. But I think it must be a really interesting thing to be able to bounce between. Oh, it was so hard oh, sometimes. Because so I was. <laughs> it's just like, you know, going to work and not being yeah. able to be out at work and then oh, going yeah. and having your community. I mean, it's, it made it, me flexible. It made me really parallel. flexible with other people's comfort zones. But I was really grateful because my dad got a younger wife later on, <laughs> like at the perfect time for me, around 14 or 13 or 14. He had a younger girlfriend, so I could talk to her. And she was probably like, fella, lighten up. Oh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Right, good. <laughs> I was very fortunate, too. My, my parents were uh, 17 and 20 when I was born. Wow. So I kind of grew up with them. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you know, I, I actually had access to my dad's Playboys, and o- OUI was another of the big ones. Um. And it was always like you know, I, I feel very fortunate with my upbringing that I was able, always able to talk about stuff when I was ready, and and you know, feel pretty much sexually well adjusted because of it. I mean, I'm sure there's always everyone always has room to get better, but it's really if we all lived in a world where everybody could say that they didn't have like 
either trauma trauma or just, oh, God, mom, don't say that, trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, various <laughs> kinds of traumas. I'm not trying to put, the same, put them on the same continuum at all. But if we could all grow up without that stuff, what kind of a world could we create as adults? You know, I just, I, that's, that's, my, that's my definition, sort of, my baseline definition of sex positivity, mm-hmm. which has gotten so many different definitions lately. But when I think about it, I think about... In a sex-positive world, we would all get what we needed informationally, support-wise. We would know there were appropriate partners. We'd know Mm -hmm. how to find them. Mm -hmm. We'd know how to talk to them. We wouldn't communicate with them when we got there. No shaming when we explore things that are a little bit uh, off the norm. Enough health information and resource for everybody. I mean, it's a social justice model Mm -hmm. as much as anything else. Exactly. It isn't just, oh, if you were sex-positive, you would let me tie you up. No, that's not what it it means. Although I've heard that go down in the last decade or so, uh, so <laughs> makes me my teeth grind. Take note, everyone. Yeah. That's not what it means. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there was a, a video going around yesterday. You know, one thing with uh, Greater Podlandia and Lesser Podlandia, I'm sitting here <laughs> with a a poor, unfortunate, broken flipper. Oh. Uh, about was it two weeks ago? Now I dropped a motorcycle on my foot Ow. and did a really good job of smashing one of my small bones. Uh, had some surgery and stuff like that. So I've been spending a lot of time in Facebook and doing nothing but sitting in bed with my foot elevated uh, and watching, you know, Netflix and stuff. So there was a a video that went across Facebook yesterday that made me really angry. I don't know if you saw it. It was um, about a young man who's confronting his family about coming out and how, you know, the end of the video got really violent, and it's mm-hmm. mostly audio. Wow. And he, he was just saying, you know, how, you know, some of you said you would support me, and now you're all kicking me out, and it's just fine, but, you know, it's not a choice. It is a choice. Well, God, science, and it's just like, at the end of that, I was, like, heartbroken and angry. And, yeah. and you know, like, we're talking about sex positivity, and it's like, here is a a very strong part of this country that has no room of acceptance, that have no room to let somebody else be happy. Right. You know, they just, they go back and forth about, well, you chose this way, and, you know, your father did all this, and, you know, and you're being so cruel to your father by choosing to be this way. And I'm like, I was crying at the end of that mm-hmm. video. It's pretty extraordinary that, that that was actually recorded because, you know, that, that kind of nonsense has been going on since time immemorial, probably, right. certainly ever since I've known about alternative sexuality worlds and communities and new people coming out from families who weren't supportive. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, because I'm old as dirt, I um, am one of the people who started one of the first gay youth groups in the country. Right. And that was back in 1970, or it was, four, I think. And I was with two gay boys, one of whom was 15. I was 17 or 18. I was 17, and, and the other guy was 18 or 19. And it's one thing to make a sort of a support group for youth of any sort. Mm-hmm. All youth need some kind of support, right. you know? I mean, it's not, it's not there are some straight kids, and it's never awful for them. I mean, mm-hmm. it's awful for youth. Off and on, everyone pretty much teen, always. Everyone who's a teenager is trying to expand their, their understanding of the world, and that's always 
bumpy. It's an intense time of life being a youth, right? It just really is. But I can remember um, kids that we hung out with and were part of our organization who um, got thrown out of their houses, yeah. probably with, you know, Strom and Drang, very much mm-hmm. like what was going around on Facebook yesterday, although it was, what, 40 years ago, mm-hmm. right? 40 exact years ago. Not that much has changed in that way. And, I mean, there, there have been some things that have changed, of course, substantially, radically. Yeah. But, but, but there's this core of, if you've got a conservative family or community out of which to come, coming out as whatever is going to be a challenge yeah. to their worldview as much as anything else, and sometimes literally dangerous. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had, we had kids who killed themselves and kids who got beat up by older partners who took them in when their parents took them out, mm-hmm. uh, kicked them out, and then it went wrong. And, mm-hmm. I mean, just awful things that shouldn't happen to young people. It shouldn't happen to anybody right. at any age. And I just, th- what you're telling me makes me think... The work's not all done. No. I was hearing a statistic um, at Woodhull, actually, that interested me a lot. Um, apparently, somebody's done some research that suggests that one of the reasons that marriage equality is moving so fast as it is right now is that roughly 80% of people in the United States now know somebody who's gay or lesbian. Yeah. Or maybe bi. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Because not everybody, you know, there's, yeah. that's still its own <laughs> set of challenges around coming out and so forth. But um, only about 8 percent of people in the U.S. know somebody who's trans. Yeah. Like 10 percent of that. Mm-hmm. And the movement of trans community rights and, and acceptance and resources of all that stuff. Too. Resources. Um, you know, we, we live in San Francisco. We think it's going okay But here. everywhere it's else going is. okay here. In this bubble. Yeah. But this, this is, is a bubble also in that one way. of the sanctuaries where a lot mm-hmm. of people will come to because... And, of course, the things that are changing about San Francisco may, depending, make it less of a sanctuary than it was before. We don't know yet how that's all going to play out. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's really clearly, and you know, you said, you said something a little bit ago, Ryan, about the, the cafe becoming more important than you in this way. Yeah. And I feel like once we tie ourselves to any kind of a social change entity, whether it's a cafe or an organization or a group or a, you know, anything like an activist Twitter mm-hmm. account. It could be right. anything mm-hmm. these days. You don't have to be right in the mix anymore. You can be where you are with connectivity and you mm-hmm. can join in. But once we do that, I feel like the the world out there says, okay, thanks for pitching in. Here's some more stuff you need to do now. Right. Because yeah. because it's, it's kind of endless. It's not yeah. done yet. Which means I really hope that somebody who's hearing our voice right now goes... All right, well, but then what can I do? Because there's so many things. Yeah. And a lot of them are fun. That's a great <laughs> great part about, you know, sex positive culture and sexual diverse culture. You know, we've talked about some stuff that it's pretty heavy, but a lot of the making space for others is delightful work. Mm-hmm. It's the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. I know a couple uh, younger kids who are going through, like, a trans process. Yeah. And they don't have the resources that San Francisco does. And it's really hard to hear them crying because they're going through these emotional being torn two different pl- like places emotionally and they have no one to physically go to and talk to and and I think really like if there isn't a resource those people who need the resources should become that resource you know right. really become that mentor and make sure that door is open I mean that's the only way that it's going to start is if people who don't have that resource can make it happen 
It's like you become your own doctor in exactly. a kind of a way. Doctor isn't like necessarily the right word for mm. this, but you, you, yeah, you, you, you give yourself so hard to go through. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I know about crazy hormones, but yeah. I'm just saying like and not having that. Do you want to go into that? Or? Oh, we can if you want. Yeah, and why are, why are you talking about crazy hormones all of a sudden? Oh, me, Ryan and I both have been sort of bedridden for the past <laughs> couple weeks because I am very pregnant. And crazy hormones. Yes, yes. So I know what it feels like With to a be passenger. Going. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, which is also something that I wanted to talk about was, you know, coming out, coming out as gay or lesbian is hard. But I've realized now that coming out as poly is definitely a struggle, especially when I'm about to become a parent. Um, and I'm going to have to, I mean, I even told my, my mom, she was like, how are you going to have a polyamorous relationship with a child? Da, 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 you know, like. Complete scolding, and that's something that we need to be able to talk about. Yeah, well, you know, how do you do that? Because there, there is a national dialogue about being gay. Mm. There's not a national dialogue yet about being poly, about yep. being trans, about yep. so many, you know, like, about being kinky. Mm. You know, these are yeah. all, like, you know, it's okay to talk about this, but mm-hmm. these things are, we're, people aren't ready people to People get uncomfortable when you talk about polyamorous, like, mm-hmm. lifestyles. They get really uncomfortable. Just this last week, one of the um, one of the marriage equality um, state fights that's going on because you know tons of states have turned this year and mm-hmm. and taken taken their um, marriage inequality laws off the mm-hmm. books or challenged them or whatever and and then a bunch of states have gone ahead and taken the next step and doubled down and and said no we're going to take this to the Supreme Court mm-hmm. we want to we want to make sure that uh, it's one man one woman mm-hmm. and whatever no that malarkey and I just want to tell them. You don't even have any idea how complicated it is. If you think there's only men and women, come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. Join the 21st century mm-hmm. Indiana. What are you kidding me? And Wisconsin were maybe, <laughs> maybe the ones where they're, they're, that sort of led me to think about this right now because they were just very recent. But there was this whole discussion um, on the floor of the court mm-hmm. where, because um, it was a, the circuit court, it was in Chicago, mm-hmm. and it was Posner, a Bush-appointed Republican justice who was being really non-homophobic, mm-hmm. and all the, all the other guys could do is say, but, well, then any number of people could get married. Like, well, okay, yeah, that, the world wouldn't end then either, my friends, <laughs> to tell you the truth, but... Yeah. When you get right down to it, that's not the discussion we're having this year. Mm-hmm. We'll have that discussion another time, maybe. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to have it right now, and we're not going to have it as part of the discussion for this, because the culture is just not ready for everything mm-hmm. to get mashed together yep. and for sexual freedom to actually be on the agenda as mm-hmm. sex and relationship and gender freedom. Yep. We're just That's each little piece. It's like you, you chip off the piece off the, the hole, you take that to court, and then later on you're going to come back and chip off another little piece, and it'll keep the lawyers busy, I guess. Yeah. I guess that's good for them. Well, yeah. <laughs> we, we must keep the lawyers in, in, in suits. And, and, <laughs> well, if we okay. don't, they'll probably act out, right? So, right. yeah, it is a good thing. We have many, and, and we should probably also say, we have many extraordinary yes, lawyers in our world, right, who, without whom, None of this we, would, yeah. we would get less done than we do. Yeah. And be less mm-hmm. protected than we are. So thanks, thanks, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it really is. Uh, beginning of this beginning of this month, my mother's went to Chicago to get married. 
And it's actually a very fortunate thing because my other mother, Dee, had uh, emergency appendicitis recently. Like She had emergency appendicitis the day after I had my motorcycle accident. Which and if they my poor mother. And if they weren't married, your mother might not even be able to go in and see exactly. her in the hospital. Yeah, right. And now they live in Arkansas, mm. so it's still kind of rough and challenging, but um, my mother is actually an employee of the regional hospital mm. as uh, in the education department. So it's like, you know, there's... But I still, like, wanted to just give my mother a big hug because, like, the timing of it is more fortuitous than otherwise, but still, it's it's scary when you start thinking about this isn't just how people act in a bedroom, but this is how people act in life and yes. how, yeah. you know... Mm-hmm. Their partner choice should not be limited by, you know, an often misquoted book. Right. Yes, definitely. Uh, and somewhat misunderstood book in many cases. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think it's worth saying in so many words, since we're talking about we're down this quality and stuff, we're down, we're down here talking about it, uh, that, you know, when, when I was first coming out, when I was first doing this gay youth organizing and I was working at the Campus Gay Alliance and all that stuff, Marriage was on the table then, too. And people now can't imagine that it's been 40-plus years that this has been discussed. Marriage, um, ordination in the church, and the military Mm. were the three huge and systemic sources of discrimination. Things that could be tackled, like, first were the ones that were tackled first, like, Mm. rent me up an apartment, please. Don't throw me out of my job, please. Mm. All that kind of stuff. And then once... There was a certain amount of protection around those kinds of issues. Only a certain amount because you can still get thrown out of your job, especially mm-hmm. if you work for what Hobby Lobby or somewhere. Uh, but ooh. once you once you step you know over that, and at least some of those <clears throat> protections are beginning to come into play, people forget that what made this thing the thing that everybody decided to put their attentions toward in the LGBT community as activists activists was the AIDS epidemic and the fact that people couldn't visit their friends in the hospital. Mm. And if their friends happened to die tragically, the same family that was having that awful argument uh, and saying awful things about their queer kid would swoop in and take everything this couple had built together and take it, you know, back to Arkansas or wherever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why marriage equality got the Bunsen burner flame turned up so high yeah. that it finally began to bubble. Mm-hmm. That's the reason. And now there are so many reasons why we say, well, it's just, it's just human rights. It's just civil mm-hmm. rights. Like, yeah, but it was the hospital piece that showed so clearly what was wrong right. before. And that people finally said, you know, we're not just LGBT people who can see that this is wrong. We're, anybody in the room can mm-hmm. see this is wrong. The military hasn't gotten any better, though, really, to be honest. I mean, Don't Us, Don't Tell was lifted. But that didn't, it didn't stop hazing in the military. Yeah. It actually got worse because people are so open right. that it makes the, you know, the targets a lot easier to find. Which did, is, did, did lifting Don't Ask, Don't Tell make people feel as though they were safer? Did that actually happen within the military, I just think, think? that um, it just made people more, and I don't want to word this the wrong way, I just feel like once it got lifted, people flaunted it that they were gay, which is, you shouldn't do that at work anyway. You are you at work. You're doing your job. And people, when, were, people were so smished down for so long that they were like, woo, 
which is great. I mean, but there's a time and a place for that. There is a time and a place. And when you're at work in your uniform, you are just a soldier and that's what you are. You don't have to talk about your personal life. And the problem is, is that, you know, you're living in the barracks 24-7. And once Don't Ask, Don't Tell was lifted, it was, it, it became, you know, hazing all the time. Well, it would also, uh, uh, I would think that in a context like that, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have the military stepping up and saying, let's do a whole lot of education around this issue right now no. with everybody. Mm-hmm. That probably didn't happen, no. right? So, no. you know, education is such a huge piece of all of this. The it's regulations huge. are still messed up as well when it yeah. comes to certain things. Like sexual assault regulations are really, really bad. And... Um, the sex education, you know, the clinics in the Army. I mean, the Army, specifically Fort Bragg, has one of the highest chlamydia rates because people are not educated. You right. know, a lot, soldiers just want to come home from deployment and be with as many people as they want and not really think about the consequences. You know, when my dad was in World War II, it was the time in the military where every single person who went into the military would get, actually, a pretty good education mm-hmm. Um, about what we would now call safer sex. Yeah. And preventing what they then called VD, venereal, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. sexually transmitted disease. Mm-hmm. And I still have an empty box of Trojan condoms <laughs> that I'm pretty sure he was issued when he first came into the military. And he kept them his whole entire life until he died. And I found him and snagged him to put in mm-hmm. my, you know, my china cabinet. Yeah, my historical <laughs> stash of old, cool sex stuff that I get at estate sales and from Mm -hmm. my dad and wherever I get it because I think, you know, he's dead, I can't ask him, but I think this box of condoms, empty, yay, score, (laughs) meant a certain thing to him that we would call, you know, sex positive or relevant Mm -hmm. to his own understanding of his sexual identity. And it's one of the most precious things I have from my parents, which sounds a little odd, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'm me, and I'm a socially responsible, sex-positive hoarder of yeah. cool old things. I mean, they, they punish related. people in the military yeah. for STDs. They punish them. Yeah. You get an STD, and you, and you uh, don't follow through with the proper steps, you will lose rank. And I went to an amazing conference, it was almost two years ago now, at University of Michigan, mm-hmm. called Sex and Justice. Mm-hmm. And basically what it did was bring everybody, um, activists as well as researchers and academics, who do some sort of criminal justice system and mm-hmm. sexuality related anything. Yeah. So the people who um, are on sex offender lists because mm-hmm. they got caught having sex out in the park mm-hmm. or any of the other ways you can get on it too, of course. Yeah. Some sex workers get put on sex offender lists. They're the sex, the sex worker activist types and people mm-hmm. studying them. And the people who are criminalized because they're HIV positive and they have sex. Mm-hmm. And that's... That's a thing in the military. Yeah, definitely. That if you actually are HIV positive, they find out, and you are sexual at all with somebody else, yep. including safer sex, yep. then that is an incredible problem for mm-hmm. you. You can get busted. Yes. You can pay a lot of money. You can get thrown out. The problem is, is the confidentiality isn't that great in the military either, because right. you have a bunch of soldiers who are it's your nurses. The military it is, too. yeah, and, and they I, don't necessarily think that privacy is. Oh, their yeah. most important focus. Exactly. They think it's that just attacking those numbers. Yeah. You have an STD. I'm gonna take care of you as fast as possible. There was a girl that I served with who contracted an STD and didn't want to go to the doctor about it because she was afraid of being shamed because right. they weren't nice to you when you got an STD right. in the military. They were not nice. Right. Um, 
So she just waited, and it, and that really damages your body. That's not good. Oh yeah. So a lot, and I'm sure a lot of people do that because they're afraid of having their business like let out. Well, and all the people who don't know that they, or maybe suspect they have, but they don't yeah. know for sure that they have yeah. a sexually transmitted condition. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's why the whole thing isn't yeah. back in its Pandora's box, right? Mm-hmm. Is because people are are not either afraid or they just don't know. Yeah. And, and they don't have very high... I mean, the good thing about the military is, is they can force you to get tested, which is great. They can be like, you are going, or you're not going to get... Like, you're going to get punished, right. which is fine. But it's only once a year, maybe. And if they don't treat you with respect, yeah. even after that point, yeah. the forcing you to go and get tested, you know, that's a... Uh, so it sounds I mean, like military sex shaming is... is oh, it's so bad. Stronger, is, is worse than, like... Civilian life. It I mean, which so bad in the military. It makes me think of a like a concentration of like when you when you cook down the sauce so it's much more yeah. intense or yeah. or a, a chemical thing where something mm-hmm. becomes much more intense because mm-hmm. it's it's like got all of the ideas of the yeah. large mainstream culture and all of this discipline mm-hmm. that most of us don't have to yeah. live our lives addressing. But you know what that's like. Oh from yeah, inside. you have people. I mean. Because you have so many people from different places coming together to run a battalion or to run a company with different views. I mean, I went to Iraq twice, and the first time I went to Iraq, I had super Catholic commander and wow. first sergeant, okay? So the rule was, was if you were a male, you were not allowed to even go to take a step on the women's barracks. And if you were caught, you were kicked out from the military. Plain and simple, booted, no excuse. Like, if you got caught having sex, you got sent home and kicked out of the military. That's how strict it was. That's really And we're strict. in Iraq for a year, you know. I, I made it for, for a year without it, but there's a lot of people that just could not do it. So they just, I mean, telling people to not have sex for a year is just This like, makes me think that having to sneak around as a, um, a, a, an adolescent and get in the backs of cars, dr- driven up logging roads and parked under trees was actually really not as oppressive as I thought it was at <laughs> oh, the <yeah>. time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is like making me think of like the you know the old stories of the Spartans, where you know like, this is you know you had to sneak around and feed yourself, and if you got caught, you know you were removed by head. Oh, it's bad. So it's like you know they. Yeah, I'm sure around. they didn't expect. I'm sure they expected it not to happen, but just like it's forbidden, so that we don't see it. There's a lot of same-sex action going on for sure in in Iraq because you wouldn't get caught. You're in the designated area. Yeah. <laughs> But funny that. Yeah, it's funny that. <laughs> the military is secretly breeding bisexuals. They have a bisexual breeding facility. Yes. You could, you could do an awesome Bisexual story breeding about camps that. throughout the world. Ah. Oh. And in sea. See, I'm going to get myself in trouble for having said that at all. It makes it the, for an interesting homecoming, though, the, when everyone has to go back to their regular lives. <laughs> the fact is that situational bisexuality is, of course, one kind of bisexuality, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and bisexuality in general doesn't get as much you know, understanding and attention and support and lack of shaming as it mm-hmm. needs to. I just read some statistic that suggested that bisexuals were more likely than gay and lesbian people to have stress-related health problems and things like that. And it's just like it's less easy to come out that way. Mm-hmm. In, in some of the same we, ways that it's hard to come out as poly, not for necessarily the same reasons, because, mm-hmm. of course, you can be poly and not be bi, yeah. and you can bi and not be poly, but then mm-hmm. when you are both, yeah. then... Being you know, pansexual no, and poly is... Well, it's <laughs> no wonder people, yeah. you know, sort of make adult families of choice, because who else is supporting them? Mm-hmm. It, it makes me... 
a little irritated that it's been 40 years of, you know, activism around bisexuality mm-hmm. for me too. And I'm still seeing that kind of result. I would like to see that get a little better before yeah. I shuffle off the mortal coil. Mm-hmm. But I've still got plenty of time. And it, it's gotten somewhat better. No, I think it has. I think it has. I mean, there's the bisexual visibility is. Right now, as we speak, at the um, LGBT um, Historical Museum in the Castro, there's a little um, show up about the history of bisexual activism in the Bay Area. And that's a wonderful thing to see. I think that may be the first time that they've done something like that. Mm-hmm. And the Bay Area is only one of the cities in the country that bisexual activism has been significant. Seattle and Boston yeah. both had really important bi communities early on and other places too. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see that the needle move on that as well, I know. <clears throat> so we have about seven minutes before we wrap up this half of the podcast. So is there anything? We would you like to ask some questions from the audience or... Yeah, we've really been on a soapbox yeah, this we time. Have been. So I think you know, we'll be a little bit more lighthearted for the yeah. second part of this episode. We'll, you know, have some little bit more fun talk. Right, and I wasn't even ranting. No, no. this was... This is perfect. I, I tried not it. to rant very hard. No, this, I could <laughs> rant lots harder than this. Well, no, this, this was, we, were, we were all down the same rabbit hole here. and we were It was all, great. And yeah. it's... <laughs> One of the things about the cafe is like this is that is the default setting of the cafe is trying to promote acceptance. Right. Yep. And you know what can I say? This that's what makes this place so important to me and so important to so many other people and there are so many stories about it about here and that that I, you know, I get I get all mushy mushy Aww. and teary eyed about it. So sweet. I love the idea of the of the of the notion of some just some poor caffeine deprived person stumbling down Eighth Street, stumbling in, smelling the coffee, coming in, mm. and looking around and realizing my life could change today. I love mm. that. Exactly. I bet yeah. it's happened. Yeah. yeah Every there, day, I'm sure. Yeah, there, there are definitely people that um, that have come into us and seeing like just the general comfortable atmosphere. Mm. And started to get comfortable here themselves. I mean, you know, we, we also cater very strongly to the gamer centric because I am a huge gaming nerd Me on too. many as, many aspects, and so is my co host. And so that's one way we drag them in. <laughs> I don't really even think, I mean, I think it should get to a point that, you know, the community or the world in general should get to a point of just blanket acceptance. You shouldn't have to, you know, emphasize on gay rights or emphasize on, you know, poly. Relationships. It should just be plain and simple. Accept this because we accept you. That's it. That would be nice. That would be very nice. <laughs> I think you it just uh, described our Shangri-La here. Yeah, I think I just think that's what it is. I mean, the beauty of traveling and being part of different fetish communities is it's all very different. You can go, you know, right. San Francisco community and North Carolina community are totally different, but the one thing that is the same is acceptance. You can walk in and feel like you are part of which is what's so beautiful about the fetish community. Well, and I also think that the fetish world really, really knows on a deep level, Mm -hmm. particularly people who are lucky enough to live in places where they can go play together and see each other in action Mm -hmm. and and really share with one another. And you see this on the Internet, too, of course, so there's, there's that. But when you get in a room together and you're all pretty different, you know, the part of the problem with... Um, accepting sexual diversity for what Reed likes to call muggles is mm-hmm. the people who just 
kind of got the idea that there was one way to be and it was normal mm-hmm. and there you have it. Yeah. I put the little rabbit ear quotes around normal, people who are listening in Podcastlandia, because I don't use that word without putting little quotes around mm-hmm. it. It's mm-hmm. not an appropriate word to use on, unless you're maybe a statistician. And then go say, for it. Because it, 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 it's, it's a word that requires definition of itself. And it's a word that people use against one another all the time, right? And there's this whole notion that, you know, if you're straight and you're gender normative, then you're normal. And, and anybody in anybody in kink world knows. Mm-hmm. You know, even if there's no LGBT, anybody in that community, which of course there always is, but even if there weren't, anybody in kink world can look around and go, yeah, no, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. One of the... <laughs> One of the few T-shirts I remember my mother ever wearing is from my kid childhood age was a T-shirt that said, why be normal? Why? Yeah. Such a good question. <laughs> yeah. That's really, I mean, that's where I struggled most was having, trying to fit myself in a box that I did not belong in. Right. All through childhood. Right. And, and when you stop and think about it, the kinds of entities that we're building here in San Francisco and in other kink communities around yeah. the country and the world, that's only part of what has to happen. Mm-hmm for everybody to get to the place where they get what they need education-wise and support-wise because I don't think there are any two human beings who are just alike sexually. Mm -hmm. I just don't. There are maybe plenty of people who are kind of pretty much alike sexually, but each one is an individual. And if we don't get that, I mean, that's part of what my work at Good Vibes is all about is like, What's the best one? Well, mm-hmm. there's not one best mm-hmm. one, period. What's there's your what's body? the best one, one response to for you. you. And it's just, it's a never-ending conversation. And it, it surprises me that we still have to have it. Because mm-hmm. it seems to me that if there was one simple thing that sex ed could include that would take some of the weight off, it would be, hey, guess what, everybody? You're individuals, and yeah. you'll learn what it is that is best mm-hmm. for you, and that makes you your optimal self. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. It just seems so basic to me. Education is not. really the simple answer to most things. Yeah. I know that when I was new to the community, I made so many novice mistakes. And instead of educating, you know, instead of being educated by my peers, you get made fun of. You know, that's just how sometimes it is. And I think these days, I think people needed to stop and be like, okay, if I were new, how would I want to be taught? A lot of people hoard knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, like... You know, I earned this the hard way because I made my mistakes when I was exploring, mm-hmm. and so you, you know, I'm going to sneer at you for making the same mistakes I made because I'm better. That's what gets people hurt, though. That's yeah. what gets people shunned. But personally. that's not everybody, yeah. fortunately. Plus, that's just a cranky place to live. Yes, cranky, it is. cranky. Sad. It's sad. Well, there are selfish people out there. There, there are. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me pout. Makes Aww. me sad. So why don't we wrap this up? This. Little yeah, I think um, so. This brings us to the end of uh, the first. The first part of our second episode of the Wicked Grounds podcast. Um, for those, for those listening to the uh, raw stream, we will be back in a little bit. For those that have been joining us on the episodes on iTunes and tuned in, um, we will see you in two weeks, or you'll hear us in two weeks. Yay. So. Uh, this is Ryan, Psycho Kitty. Thank you for listening this time. And this is Rubik, and I will talk to you soon. And. Carol Queen here as an honored guest, and I'm so, so happy that hour flew by. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure.